Hi friends, today's episode is definitely something serious. Our topic is not meant for little ears. You know Dahmer and Bundy, Boston Strangler and Night Stalker, BTK and the Green River Killer, but do you know there are so many more out there? All right, so that was my attempt to do Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with serial killers. So if you like true crime, this episode is for you. Before we get started, don't forget to hit that follow button on your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star review. You can also connect with us on all social media at Two Monica's Podcast, and that's with the number two. All right. Thanks, Mon. Now on to the gore. All right, Monica, so I've broken this episode down into a couple of different components because we know serial killers have been around since, let's say, Jack the Ripper, probably even before then, but he's most notable as, you know, a mark in history. So I've gone with the past, the present, and the international. Okay. As well as a couple other little throw-ins, like the ones that are still alive and the ones that have never been caught. And Robert K. Ressler, he is credited with first using the phrase serial killer in the Son of Sam case. Mm. I didn't know that. Okay, so we didn't have that name for it. What did they call people before that? He didn't invent it in a vacuum. It was inspired by the phrase serial murder being used in England. So, you know, people were slowly but surely working their way toward a definitive phrase to describe these people, but he's the one that coined the term serial killer. So we're going to start with the past. We're not going to go into this in too much nitty-gritty detail because there's so much out there about these killers. Plus, you sang that whole song for us, so I feel like we (laughs) totally know them all. And according to my research, the high point of serial killing was in the 1980s. Guess how many are believed to have been active in the 80s? For the entire decade, 35 a year, so 350. Estimated there were 770 serial killers active in the 80s, according to grunge.com. I know. That's an average of 15.4 per state. But you have to remove some states. Well, I feel like weren't, you know, maybe of that 770, 600 in California? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Grunge.com also says that by 2016, only about 100 or so are suspected. And that's about only two per state. So that's a huge relief for all of us. Mm. So what do the stats say about serial killers in the U.S.? Here's a quick little rundown of the deadliest states. We've got California. Texas. Florida. Illinois. New York. Oh, Ohio. Ohio. Pennsylvania. Washington. I am not surprised. Michigan. Georgia. Indiana and Missouri. So I do have to comment on this. Like, yeah. what the heck with the Midwest? <laughs> Gross and scary. And I have to travel through many of these states multiple times a year. Well, and I'm <laughs> associated with one, two, three, four of these. Five now? Five? Yeah. Oh, good grief. Well, as I mentioned before, <sighs> serial killers in the U.S. are on the decline. And between the digital technology like smartphone tracking and cell tower triangulation, a culture where credit and debit cards are primarily used and surveillance cameras, it's easier to be tracked. Family and friends are even more connected with phones and technology. So yeah, of course it's harder. I agree. And then there just might also be the fact that maybe you get caught quicker 
Because there has been such a study sure. of serial killers. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a whole department the FBI created around them, right? And understanding right. them. This all makes sense now why we've seen such a drastic change. Yeah. Which I'm okay. happy for. Oh, me too. So, Monica, this next information I found really chilling. The FBI states that there are 30 to 50 active serial killers at all times on average. And looking at the world as a whole, it's estimated there could be up to 3,000 serial killers at any time. But for today's episode, I found the best source for some of my research at SerialKillerShop.com. What a great name. Yeah. What are we shopping for? Serial killers? Like, that's interesting. I mean, you just go there to browse and boy, was there a lot to browse. There are still over a dozen unsolved serial murders dating as far back as 1992. So let's get started with number one, the I-70 killer. And here's what we know. Between April 8th and May 7th in one year, right? We're talking one month in 1992. Six people were shot and killed along a stretch of I-70. The deaths occurred between Terre Haute, Indiana and Wichita, Kansas. Five were women and police think that the sixth was mistaken for a woman. Maybe he had a man bun. I don't know long ponytail, something like that. They were all brunettes and all were employees at stores just off the highway. The spring of 2022 marked the 30th anniversary of these still unsolved murders. That's just always, those ones were there just this short amount of time and then they just blip off of the map. So the next one on the list is the I don't know if this is Chillicothe, Chilcote killer. I know, we See, went over this Chillicothe last killer. This case, the victim killed the attacker, and police realized they might have a notorious serial killer on their hands. Six murders in the small town of Chilcothe between 2014 and 2015. Four women were murdered, and another two disappeared. Okay, so do you remember when we were doing urban legends that are true? Yes. This is why I thought I was familiar with it. But Uh that urban legend is from way back. And these murders are like within the last seven years. I I was creeped out to find that these murders happened so recently. Monica, have you ever watched Dexter? Uh, Yes, I loved it. Binged it. Then you're going to know what I'm talking about when I mention a kill kit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So for those who don't know, police found knives, handcuffs, shovels, cleaning materials, axes, etc. I mean, this person knew what they were doing. They planned it. They made a kit. I think we can all use context clues, right? Yep. (laughs) It probably wasn't his first rodeo. And he had a list of names and numbers of six other women. Probably, most likely, a list of his potential victims since these women were all still alive. How freaking scary. That's so creepy. Yeah, it reminds me of Billy Madison. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) he's marking people off the list of serial killer and then calls Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler's like nice to him and he, he marks his name off anyway, but he doesn't kill him. Anyway, okay. So <laughs> okay. police believed that this man was responsible for the deaths of 10 women across multiple states. One of the suspects was working at the Hoover Dam. And so four prostitutes were murdered in the Las Vegas area. So they're just really thinking, that's a lot of people. This is so creepy, this whole kill kit still getting to me. 
Yeah. So why did they think he was a serial killer? Well, these women all shared a similar profile, and officially none of these cases are linked, but investigators strongly believe most or all of the work of the same killer, Neil Falls, who was killed by a woman who I mentioned in the very beginning, and that's how he got on the radar. And that's also probably why we haven't seen any more murders. Right. I mean, that's probably why this killing spree stopped. Yeah. (laughs) We're moving into the Southwest for the West Mesa murders. And the desert landscape is a great place for serial killers. It's got dry atmosphere. There's like tumbleweeds and cacti. It's just a crazy large landscape. It's perfect. And for a serial killer in New Mexico, it was just that. Tell me about it. I can not even imagine taking a walk with my dog and finding bones. But this woman found bones and she believed they were human in 2009. One set of human bones would be bad enough, but then police found 11 more in the same stretch of land. Most were of Hispanic descent and one of the women was pregnant at the time of her murder. They were all aged between 15 and 32 and it's believed they were involved in the sex trade. You know, I think that I listened to this on a podcast. This one sounds super familiar. Can you remind me, are there any suspects in the case since, you know, this is under our unsolved category? Yes, police do have two major suspects. And one of them lived in a trailer a few miles from where the victims were found. But he was also killed in 2006 by a sex worker. Most likely his next victim, not unlike our previous Mm-hmm. description and another was a known rapist in the area but the case is unfortunately still open today I'm going with it was the guy that got killed yep Salt. me too <laughs> we did it we did it up next we have what sounds extremely frightening and that is the flat tire killer so I know I would imagine one- that he does not kill you with a flat tire right No, he does not. And while this wasn't in our urban legends that are really true episode, it totally could be. So in my favorite decade of the last century, the 70s, in 1975, five women and girls were killed by a man in Dade County, Florida. The killer would deflate his victim's tires while they were gone and then conveniently offer assistance, gaining his victim's trust before kidnapping them. One of the women, a 23-year-old named Barbara Stevens, was kidnapped from the mall and stabbed to death using this trick. Now, the killer was also associated with the murder of two 14-year-old schoolgirls. The police at the time reported similarities to murders elsewhere in the county and detectives in Florida, Utah, and California, shocker on California, Uh developed a theory that one man may have been responsible for 33 deaths throughout the U.S. Oh my gosh, Monica. And while I was researching this, some of these murders were eventually confessed to by none other than Ted Bundy. But he didn't confess to the deaths in Florida, so those remain unsolved. Oh, wow. When I was first reading this, I was like, ew, this sounds like something weird Ted Bundy would do. Yes. Yes, it does. Number five, we have the Indian Creek Trail. And there is possibly a demented serial killer prowling the hiking trails of Kansas City, Missouri at this very moment. Like, that is super creepy. Four men have been killed while exploring the popular trails 
of the city since August 2016, primarily Indian Creek Trail. All four victims were elderly white men between 54 and 67, and three elderly, of them Elderly, were- 54? I mean, I'm gonna <laughs> stop you right there. <laughs> Not elderly. <laughs> good point, good point right there. Uh, whoever my That's source okay. is needs to, uh, maybe they're yeah. pretty young. The person they're that wrote like, this original article. Elder, they're decrepit. <laughs> so they've already got their AARP card. Okay. I'm dying. Oh, no pun intended. All right. Well, all of these murders share obvious similarities, according to the source. Um, but they have not labeled the killings the work of a serial killer. But a fifth body was found on Memorial Day in 2017. Why would they not think this is a serial killer? I mean, I don't know. We have these older men i mean come on it's not even like it's women like it's older mm-hmm. white men and three of them were walking their dogs so my guess is probably distracted you know it was easier to get them that way the dogs may have had nothing to do with it but and it's happening in the same place but so so we're just gonna be like no it's not a serial killer it's four separate creeps i mean i, mean, I would think's more likely first assume it's a serial killer and then yeah. rule that out I mean, if I were Yeah, I would not be looking for, like, four separate people who are committing murder. I feel but, like that just seems highly unlikely. Yeah, so this search party wasn't even looking for this other victim. They were looking for a missing 18-year-old woman. This fifth victim was a 31-year-old man. Investigators have pointedly affirmed that the latest death is not connected to the previous murders. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. So if it's not connected to the previous ones, then they think the others are connected, but they're not saying it's a serial killer. Very interesting. They might just be doing that to hopefully smoke out the person or whatever they would need to do. I mean, I am no expert. I just play one on a podcast. Well, this next one I have been obsessed with, and it still blows my mind. I remember watching the Law & Order based on this case. I've binged the podcast and I've watched a documentary. It's LISC in New York, and that stands for Long Island Serial Killer. What do you know about this one? I just know that this one, is this the one where they continuously find the bodies like over by the river? Pretty And they pretty almost much. think it's two separate killers even? Yes. So we'll dive into the details. In late 2010, four bodies were recovered from a desolate stretch of beach on the coast of Long Island. And then after those four bodies were found, six more bodies were found. Ten bodies, the same area. All of the victims were originally attributed to one killer, but not everyone bought into that theory. So some mm-hmm. people on the case thought it could be two separate killers using the same dumping ground. Yeah, which, oh, that just seemed even worse. I don't know why. So this case is still unsolved. If you wanted to dig deeper, Discovery Plus has a series called Unraveled Long Island Serial Killer, and there's a podcast named List, and it's entirely possible that one day it will still come out. Apparently, they're actively working the case. So the next one I thought was old, which I don't know why. Maybe it's because I have it mixed up with a different strangler, but this is the Chicago Strangler. So in 2019, before the world changed forever with something which we shall not be named, (laughs) the Chicago Tribune reported that police were assigning a designated task force to investigate the theory that there was a serial killer stalking the city. I don't know, a serial killer stalking in a city. It's like they can be so anonymous so quickly. 
I mean, I feel like if we had a serial killer here in my small town, like you're, we're gonna know. So another story ran a year earlier, connecting the deaths of at least 75 women who had been killed via suffocation or strangulation between the years of 2001 and 2017. Oh my God, 16 years and 75 women? And they're just that now connecting lot. it? That's a lot. So the Tribune's initial story ran in 2018, and even as law enforcement balked at the idea of a serial killer, four more women ended up turning up dead in the exact same manner. Oh, Monica, that's right. Okay, now this is all coming back to me. Discovery Plus has a great documentary called The Hunt for the Chicago Strangler, and yes, I've seen it, and it is messed up. Still unsolved. Do they have any idea? Still unsolved. Gotcha. Nope, still unsolved. But if you need something to put you to sleep at night, highly recommend it if you don't live in Chicago. We have talked about this. I forget which episode it was in, but the killing fields in Texas. This mm -hmm. one reminds me of Lisk because all the bodies were buried in the same area, which is how it got the name, the killing fields. Mm -hmm. One of the victims was found in 1986, but she was not identified until 2019. That is crazy. That's a long time. But then again, I get it. I don't know. Just depending on who she was, mm -hmm. how long she was gone, DNA. It's really sad, though. And yet, there was another discovered in 1991, but that one was not identified until 2019 as well. And their names were Laura Miller and Audrey Lee. Oh, wow. That is a long time to go unidentified. Then you have Heidi Fay, who went missing in 1983, and her remains turned up a few months later in the same area of Texas. So where does the case stand now? According to the FBI, there are no known connections between the victims and no witnesses who have come forward to share what they might know about what happened to the women mm. in their last moments. I know, it's tragic. But the Washington Post does say that there are plenty of suspects and even some false confessions. Those always muddy the water. But the investigation yeah. is totally stalled between the discovery of the fourth victim and the discovery of their identities. So basically, they have no idea what's going on. Oh, well, that's promising. I wonder if any of them are connected. I mean, it could be just a dumping ground. We're yeah. talking about the Midwest and those long stretches of road. People just decided, people, okay, monsters just decided, hey, yeah. this is a gr good place. No one's going to look yeah. here. So the next tragedy we get to talk about is Jeff Davis 8, a.k.a. Jennings Killings. So it's called the Jennings Killings because it was located in Jennings, Louisiana, between the years of 2005 and 2009. Now, at this time, eight women were murdered and dumped in swamps and ponds surrounding the city. Monica, this city is pretty small. I mean, it's population of just 10,000. I think that's tiny. So why would they think it's a serial killer? So these victims had a lot in common. They lived in the same area. All of them had criminal records, mainly for prostitution. Most of them died from asphyxiation. It's been over a decade though without a solid suspect. There is an investigative reporter named Ethan Brown who wrote a book on the subject and he claimed that Jennings police officers had sex with some of the victims. Now their investigation was tainted by evidence being mishandled and people being fired after trying to speak up. Brown believes that the evidence doesn't point to one killer guilty of all murders, but rather to a cover up. 
oh, I love a good cover-up story. And this whole law enforcement having sex with prostitutes and then killing them is not new in what we've been talking about. Yeah, I'm not going to say that I can't see this happening. Why? Because people are gross. You know, people like to to use power. I mean, so it just kind of makes sense and it's sad. And unfortunately, in many of the episodes that we have done in true crime that deal with this, I mean, prostitutes unfortunately get caught up in that mix for mm-hmm. just that reason. So this investigative reporter, Brown, his biggest revelation involves the Bordeaux Inn, and that is a sleazy motel where women would take the clients. So the reporter uncovered that one of the co-owners was a field rep for Louisiana Congressman Charles Bustani, and locals claim to have witnessed the congressman visit the motel with several of the victims. Oh, now a politician's involved and it gets real. And this mm-hmm. is all according to the investigative reporter, Ethan Brown, and nothing that we have dug up. That's our source. <laughs> That's if you want to learn source. more, read his book. Yes. We'll yes. include a link to it in the show notes. Monica, we have arrived at, unfortunately, number 10 of unsolved. Some of them, yes, the suspect has died. Others are just completely unsolved. But this is the Oakland County child killer from Michigan. And I thought it was fitting that I take this one since I grew up in Michigan. In 1976, in Oakland County, Michigan, there was a child killer. Four children, two boys and two girls were murdered within a one-year span. They were all abducted, held captive for several days before their bodies were found, placed carefully at various locations, which is sickening. Yeah, oh my gosh. When you have child murders like this, police are out in force trying to figure out who did it. And they did have several suspects. One was Chris Bush, who was the son of a General Motors executive. When I read that, I was like, whoa. So he was suspected of several sex crimes involving children, and he eventually committed suicide in 1978. Mm. Which could explain why the OCCK killer never killed again. Oh, hey, I feel such guilt and I'm so anguished over my despicable, horrendous deeds. Another suspect came courtesy of a letter sent to a psychiatrist and a task force member. Author identified himself as Alan and said his roommate, Frank, was the killer. Frank was angry about Vietnam and wanted to make rich people suffer. Okay, so that's pretty messed up kill children just because you're angry about a war and you want rich people to suffer. Uh, That's exactly what I thought. And police even considered John Wayne Gacy as a possible murderer. By 2007, Ted Lamborghini was their chief suspect in the crimes. He received life in prison for multiple child-related sex crimes going back to the 70s, and he refused a reduced sentence in exchange for a polygraph test. So they they don't know. Because he's just like, no, I'm not taking the polygraph. Oh, Tell me sorry. about this no, next sorry. one. Looks like we have another highway killer because those just seem to have been rampant back in the day. Oh, yeah. And it's no wonder I don't like driving down the highway at night. So we have the New Bedford Highway Killer. It's a serial killer who murdered 11 women in New Bedford, Massachusetts, dumping the bodies at the side of the road just outside the cities. He targeted sex workers and drug addicts. And this spree was fast and furious because he carried them out between April and September of 1988. I mean, that's a lot. 
Definitely. That's a very short amount of time and they didn't catch him. Whew. So you know how we talk about the 70s and 80s as the golden age for serial killers, and it's true in this case too. Police did not realize that a serial killer was active until November. Isn't that like three months later? Yeah. When the third body was found. By that point, the killer had stopped and possibly moved on. Why do we not think this is Ted Bundy? Was he already in jail? Oh yeah, I, th I think he was definitely <laughs> just, in jail. I'm just teasing. Well, police did have and do have a couple of suspects. Tony DeGarzia, who had a history of sexually assaulting prostitutes, but no evidence was found to link him to the deaths, and he committed suicide in 1990. I don't know how mm. they thought he was a suspect other than he had a history of assaulting prostitutes. They're probably just looking at behavior. In August of 1990, an attorney named Keith Pont was indicted for the murder of Rochelle Clifford, but the case was dropped due to lack of evidence, and police even dug up his property in 2007 but they didn't find anything and yet still another theory is that the killer may be the lisbon ripper the unidentified perpetrator of a series of murders in portugal in the 1990s and the mm -hmm. reason why police have this theory is because new bedford has a large portuguese community and if the killer left his own country to continue the crimes it might explain why he operated over such a short period of time and has been so hard to track down oh well that makes a lot of sense actually i think it's this dude <laughs> i have four getting to vote I, I select that one. Oh, okay. So now I see what's coming up next is another killer on a route. So I can't wait to drive all the way to 13 hours to Arkansas by myself in a car in a few weeks. Exciting times. So this is the route or route, whichever way you want to say it. Route 8 killer in Connecticut. So off Route 8, south of Torrington, Connecticut, there is a remote wooded area which has possibly served as the dumping grounds for one or more killers since the late 80s. So much like the List Killer. Yep. So between 1988 and 2004, four young women were murdered there. And they had one thing in common. They were all from a town called Waterbury. Oh, that sounds like a sweet, sweet town. Do police have any suspects? As of the writing of the source article, in 2017, police had three suspects. All of them are suspected serial killers and convicted murderers already in jail on other charges. Well, that kind of puts a wrench in the plans. Richard W. Rogers was already in prison for two other murders, and he's also believed to have killed Jack Franklin and dumped his body parts throughout the same region. The problem no, with Rogers, body parts? Parts, body parts, yes. You, you read that correctly. The problem with Rogers as a suspect is he targeted gay men and dismembered them, so not quite fitting the profile of the other bodies that were found. There's also a Steve Hayes. He's in jail for the home invasion and murder of Jennifer Hawk Pettit and her two daughters. In a letter, he confessed to 17 murders throughout New England, maybe including the ones in Waterbury. The problem with Hayes is he is considered a pathological liar and possibly a serial confessor so he's cray cray and maybe kills people but maybe he didn't kill a lot of people negative attention but attention mm -hmm. and perhaps the best lead is william devon howell now he's currently in jail for one murder and being investigated for seven other 
victims, whose bodies were dumped behind a mall in New Britain, Connecticut. Authorities believe he could be responsible for other murders. Well, I vote for him. Holy cow. Yes, uh, he gets my vote too. We move on to story number 13, not story, case number the smiley face killers. I thought this was the same, I don't want to say story, but the same case as a podcast I listened to called The Smiley Face Killer. Um, And that podcast is about a woman who really is the daughter of a serial killer called The Smiley Face Killer. And he went around the country killing people and leaving a smiley face in bathroom stalls. Mm -hmm. This is not the same. And after I did my research, it kind of worked its way out. Um, But here we have 45 college-aged males murdered over a 20-year span, and they were all drowned after getting drunk. But the thing is, all of these drownings happened in 11 different states. I have to comment here. I think that if you can kill in so many different states, like, I think it's one thing... Not that I want to like make it sound like what these people are doing is cool, but I'm just saying from a plotting and planning standpoint, it would be hard enough to pull off something sneaky in one place. Imagine pulling off something sneaky in that many places and doing that awful thing in that many places and not getting caught in that many places. I feel like that is probably why it could escalate to 45 because you probably get your rocks off on not getting caught. I I mean, I think you have a very good path there in how you're thinking because that's a lot of men in a lot of states and the planning I mean they have their system for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word down and just keep going but to be active in that many states I find truly astonishing so why why the smiley face killers Um, so detectives claim that smiley faces have been found near the sites where at least 12 men have drowned and it's believed that these men were abducted murdered and then disposed of in bodies of water to give the impression of accidental mm. drowning. Like, what do we know about serial killers? A lot of times they have a type, right? And what mm-hmm. do these killings have in common? Firstly, date rape drugs were found in the systems of the victims, enough to render them completely unconscious. And that's terrifying. And the victim profile is very similar in every case. It's male, white, athletic, successful, and popular. So last but not least, the conditions of the bodies. One victim had been missing for 40 days, but the deterioration of the corpse was nowhere near consistent with someone who had been in water for six weeks. So this also leads investigators to think that they were placed there later. And this is this one solved? No, it's unsolved. Do they have any idea? I couldn't find anything about it. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. On that (laughs) note, uh, it's time for a little commercial break. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of a series, episode, or season, email us at contact at twomonicaspodcast.com. That's with the number two. Alrighty, enough of all that. Now back to the show. Okay, so here's our next category. The serial killers who were captured and are still alive. The Green River Killer. And I put this one first because I did live in Washington State and I was obsessed with this Gary Ridgeway. And he was convicted of killing 48 women in the Pacific Northwest, predominantly the Seattle area. And it took 20 years for him to be caught. Only avoided the death penalty by agreeing to show where other bodies were hidden. But he claims to have murdered 90 women. Wow. That's a lot. 48? And he's like convicted of 48. That's, yep. that's a lot. And yet he's we like, no, be- but there were more. <laughs> we had the BTK killer, um, Dennis Rader. Torture yeah, 
Dennis Rader gave himself the moniker, so he's mm-hmm. awesome, um, which describes his method, which we already described what it is, so you can do the mental math there. So he's a Kansas-based killer. He was eventually apprehended by police after he sent Wichita Fox affiliate KSAS-TV a floppy disk that was linked to a computer at the the Christ Lutheran Church. Rader was convicted in 2005 and sentenced to 175 years in prison without parole. The 76-year-old killer is currently in solitary confinement at El Dorado Correction Facility in Butler County, Kansas. Uh, With good reason, solitary confinement. And I can't believe that he was I mean, 2005 doesn't seem like that long ago. And going back to technology, if he had just not said that floppy disk. I mean, that's what arrogance does, though. Evil begets arrogance, and that's usually how they get caught. So, Monica, this next one, yikes. So we have Charles Cullen, and I don't think that he is related to Edward Cullen. That's the first thing that came to my mind. (laughs) Cullen was a nurse in New Jersey for 16 years years starting in 1988. Now that sounds really nice, but during those 16 years, he killed multiple patients by overdosing them and contaminating IV bags. He was ultimately arrested in 2003 and confessed to murdering up to 40 patients. This is disgusting. Yeah. However, in interviews after... Uh, Yeah, that's why I just want to hurt him even more. I mean, not that anyone, not that any murder is like more atrocious, but just the vulnerable. It makes you so extra sad. So after his arrest and his interviews, it became very clear that he had killed many, many more people. Like how many more? Um, Some experts believe up to 400 victims. What? Yeah. So he was sentenced to 11 life sentences in 2006, and he will not be eligible for parole until 2403, which would be 2403, which was like, this is silly. Why do we do things like this? Why do we say that he would even be eligible for parole? Exactly. Why even bother? I like, mean, how about never available? Shut the door and throw because out what the key. Could, because what could happen is a Pope could come in and they could decide that this year is now the year 24 instead of 23. <laughs> and then he's eligible for parole. We do not know. Just say he's never eligible. That part really blew my mind. Here comes another one of my, I hate to say favorites, but favorites. Joseph James D'Angelo Jr., also known as the Golden State Killer. And this case fascinated me, and it has, in part because the Golden State Killer had many iterations of monikers, but what really kind of closed the chapter for me was I read a book called I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. She took the fascination to a whole new level. These crimes occurred between 1974 and 1986 when his last known crime is known. I really do, after reading her book and watching the docuseries, I credit her and her gang of internet sleuths They lit a fire in a cold case unit in California and inspired different counties to work together to ultimately bring these crimes to justice. So D'Angelo was a former police officer who committed at least 13 murders, 50 rapes, and 120 burglaries in the entire state of California. Oh my goodness. That is a lot. Holy smokes. So Monica, it looks like he had, as you mentioned, several different monikers, which reminds me of episode 42 from last season where we learned all about those. Mm-hmm. He was known as the Vesalia Ran- 
Ransacker, the East Area Rapist, the original Night Stalker, but his most famous is the Golden State Killer. Yes. And thanks to Michelle and the Cold Case Unit, advancements in DNA tracing technology, specifically genetic genealogy, he was finally apprehended in 2018 after he was linked through family members who had submitted their DNA on public genealogy sites. I mean, that's amazing and terrifying and amazing. That's amazing. And also there's things I don't like about that, but it's also cool that it did this, but there's also things I do not like about this. I totally Like my brother's DNA should never have anything to do with me. Mm -hmm. bothers me but also glad that it was able to help to get the golden state killer finally yes well he pleaded guilty in 2020 and he's currently serving life in prison without parole in california Um, there is a sad postscript to michelle's story her obsession became so consuming as she trying to solve the case she was also writing a book because she had written a long form story on the case uh, and she was using medication to put her to sleep and to wake her up and she ultimately died of an accidental overdose in her sleep before her book was even finished awful and that book is i'll be gone in the dark correct correct it's it's really good (laughs) The HBO docuseries is also really good and it has clips of her as she's writing the novel and you can kind of see how she works herself up. I think it's easy to get obsessed with things. I could only imagine getting obsessed with cracking a case like that. So we have another nurse. We have Kristen Gilbert. She was a Massachusetts-based nurse who was convicted of killing just four patients after injecting them with epinephrine, which caused the patients to have heart attacks. The mother of two also called in a bomb threat in 1998. So she's a real peach. Um, She was convicted in 2001 and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And she is currently serving out her days at FMC Carswell in Fort Worth, Texas. And last but not least, we have David Berkowitz who is the killer that inspired the term serial killer. Um, He's also known as the 44 caliber killer, and he went on a shooting spree between 1976 and 1977, kind of lover's lane killers, Mm -hmm. right? He killed six. In 1978, he was sentenced to 25 years in prison for each murder. He's been denied parole 16 times, and his next parole hearing was set for 2020, but, oh, gee, was delayed due to the COVID pandemic. Monica, we have reached the point in the podcast where we have moved from national to international serial killers, and these are some doozies, not even lying. The research was insane. We'll start with Brazil's Rainbow Maniac, and the Rainbow Maniac was a killer in, ooh, I can't even pronounce that name in Portuguese, in Brazil, who targeted gay men. And over the span of 18 months in not that far back, 2007 and 2008, the Rainbow Maniac killed 13 people execution style with bullets to the head. So that's great. In 2011, a suspect was arrested and trialed in relation to the killings, but was found not guilty by the deciding jury. Well, this sounds like it could be really awful. And all of that happened within 18 months. 18 months. Mm -hmm. But it stopped. 
Right. So that's the other thing. I mean, or did he move on? It's when they do that spree and they stop like that is just, I need to know. I need to know what happened. And of Uh course we won't, we're not going to know. Nope. The rainbow maniac might still be out there and it's very possible he's gotten away with murder. Next up, we have the monster of Udine and Udine is in the historic Italian city of Italy. And all of these happened between 1971 and 1991. 11 unsolved murders of women are murders that have rocked this tiny town in Italy. Many of the victims, per our victimology and our victim profile for most of these, were prostitutes, but the killer also murdered a teacher. So only five of the murders can be connected since the serial killer left a signature. Oh, what was that signature? Oh, that's a good question. The five victims in question were found with a gaping incision in their abdomen. It was cut carefully and cleanly, perhaps with a scalpel, and it ran basically up their entire abdomen. Okay. And this leads investigators to think that perhaps the killer is a doctor. So I'm just going to call it right now. This doctor that knows Marina Lepre, that's Mm -hmm. who did it. Easy. <laughs> yes. And among Easy. the few remaining leads is a shawl kept by Marina Leper's daughter, uh, which may contain the DNA of the killer. Why it's not in police custody, I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. I know. We've moved from Brazil to Italy, and now we are in Africa, in Nigeria, to the Ibadan forest serial killers. So, again, this takes place in Nigeria, and there is a horror forest, an evil forest, right? And back in 2014, a curious motorcyclist made his way into this evil forest in Nigeria. This feels like the beginning of a horror movie. I'm pretty sure there is one, but that one might be based in Japan. Um, Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, yeah. He found a small colonized area of dilapidated, decrepit buildings, and inside there were over 20 rotten corpses and severed human skulls. Yep. Okay, so I see here that 10 people were found alive. Yes. Alive. Alive. Still chained to slaughter benches? Monica. Yes. What? Yes. I mean, we kind of get off easy here in the U.S. No, I think, yeah. Yeah. Dude. Right. I think the only reason that we possibly do get off easier here in the U.S. is just the access to technology. Yikes. Well, as if that isn't bad enough, piles of clothes, boots, and passports were found inside other buildings. But police have not been able to identify the people in those passports. Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, of course, people will talk and rumors circulate. And part of these rumors have to do with religious zealots who indulge in ritual sacrifice and flesh eating. So, yeah. Yeah, well, really at this point, I mean, people were chained to slaughter benches, so nothing would surprise me. No. This next one might, and how this man gained his, this murderer gained his moniker. It's the beer man and the cuff parade killer. So, so can you guess the guy how this says means? beer here and then beer yeah. me? Beer me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can you guess how Beer Man got his nickname? Well, maybe some of his victims were found with empty beer cans next to them. That feels about the way that people get named. Am I right? 
And apparently the press latched onto this moniker. Uh, what actually happened was between October 2006 and January 2007, again, a very short period of time, right? Fear Man Killer killed seven men in Mumbai, India. A man was convicted of one of the murders in 2007, but the conviction was overturned two years later because a higher court found that the witnesses against him were bogus. I see here that this suspect was also thought to be the cup parade serial killer who is behind the abduction, rape, and murder of three girls in 2011. Yes. And I don't even want to say the age of the victims. Yeah, no, don't, please don't. I'm not going to. It's, mm-hmm. it's terrible. It's mm-hmm. awful. So in 2012, his DNA was tested to see if he was the perpetrator. And they're still waiting on that, according to my source. So, you know, some of these things evolve and reporting doesn't always follow up on their previous stories. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at with it. And it's kind of horrible. Yeah. Kind of. It's incredibly awful. horrible. And again, just this little spree and then it's over. We're leaving India and we're moving to Japan for the vending machine killer. And it's, I had no idea. that Is it saturated fat? (laughs) No, Monica, it's not saturated fat. But did you know that Japan has an infatuation with vending machines? Because I sure did. No, what? Yeah, there are 5 million vending machines across the country, which gives this a ratio of one machine for every 23 people. Well, this is why they have a vending machine killer, because there's just so many. There are. Well, so how do you murder people through a vending machine? Right. How How do you? Mm -hmm. Between April and November in 1985 in Hiroshima, 12 people were killed as a result of paraquat poisoning, and a further 35 were seriously injured. Okay, so what's paraquat? This sounds like some sort of really fancy fruit. It does, kind of like a kumquat, but not... Um, yeah. Well, I had to look it up. So paraquat, paraquat <laughs> is a toxic chemical that is widely used as an herbicide plant killer, primarily for weed and grass control. So most of the victims had one thing in common, is that they'd recently consumed a beverage from one of these vending machines. Yeah. Apparently, there was this marketing plan where you would buy something from the vending machine and it would give you this drink for free. And if you didn't want it, you would just put it on top of the vending machine. And maybe someone else who did want it would take it. Mm-hmm. You know what this reminds me of is the Tylenol murders and like the person was trying to kill one person specifically, so they killed a lot. And I wonder if that's not what happened. I had the same thought. Tell me how this toxic herbicide ends up in a drink. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The Tylenol thing was before, you know, the caps, but this was in the 80s too. So how did they arrange this? It's thought that the person would take the drink lace it with the paraquat and then put it back on top of the oh so those extra ones that extra they put ones. on top that's nice. right not the ones in the machine but the ones okay. that were outside mm-hmm. uh, and this right. is still unsolved no one has any idea who carried out these poisonings they stopped because they killed the person they want to kill I promise you you think one of those 12 people or the 35 that were seriously injured there's your answer i mean everyone needs to come to us like screw having a podcast (laughs) clearly we are crime scene investigators clearly i do think (laughs) it probably changed how that company was marketing its drinks though (laughs) i am sure well last but certainly not least we have the maniac with 
the dull eyes. I feel like this could be someone who like tried to ask you out on a date. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I mean, he, he is Russian, this maniac with oh the dull no. eyes. So, oh no. You know, I had to include it because he's mm-hmm. from Russia. Hi, yeah. Paul. Uh, no, my husband is not a maniac. Anyway, no. also known as Dilanovsky Maniac, the maniac with the dull eyes is a Russian serial killer responsible for at least seven murders between 2007. Okay, I'm just going to say this, and I know it's getting towards the end of the episode, and yeah, I'm making fine. a lot of wisecrack comments, but no, really, Russia, you only bring it with seven, seven people in three years? I mean, I expected more out of a crazy police like Russia. It's, it's true. <laughs> we, we could go into that, but that's more political. <laughs> yeah, true. I was going to have Paul help me pronounce these Russian cities and regions, but I didn't have time. So various bodies were found around this particular city in Russia, and they were dumped in construction sites and abandoned in buildings. Mm. All of his victims were women between the ages of 17 and 31, and they were all assaulted sexually before their murder. Goodness. I see here the killer left a calling card. Police found crude pornographic drawings on the walls near where every body was found. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, it's just like yeah. extra disrespectful. Thing, you know, like they want to claim what they did. Right, they, right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. No, still. Of course. So the maniac with the dull eyes is linked to more than just seven murders. He's linked to a series of murders dating back to 1999 and also suspected in the murder of a young woman in 2010. Well, I see here where his total assumed victim count is 17. I mean, they still get the bronze. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Russia. Still just the bronze and serial killers. Yep. Yep. So the maniac was never caught and probably still remains out there today. Ooh, that's awful. Well, friends, we hope that our lightheartedness with this serious topic, you know, made it bearable for you. Uh, There were several others that I just didn't include because the stories and types of crimes were too much. And Monica, I'm so glad we only do this series once a year because even though I love binging true crime, the research is tough. I do not see how people do true crime podcasts. Um, There's no way that we would, even just doing that Urban Legends one recently, which is kind of like a crossover, a hybrid, taking us from spooky into whatever this is. Yeah. <laughs> to a crime. I don't know how they do it because it gets, you can get real dark so fast. So fast. And that's what this one did, especially with some of the ones that I just, I was like, nope, not talking uh, about that. Yeah. Well, I have ideas for next season already. And mm-hmm. friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate us five stars and share us with two friends. Until next time. <laughs> Bye! We hope you enjoyed today's darker side of two Monicas and a microphone. Stay tuned for more episodes on true crime coming up this month. Today's music was provided by the following. Threat by Radion Nachev, Immersed by Kevin McLeod, Road to Hell by Kevin McLeod, and Sounds by Zapsplat.com.